Hey, Tom Moran from Tom's Big Spiders here for my latest podcast. And this time around, I'd like to take some time to talk about enclosure sizes. I've received several questions even the past week about what size enclosures to use for certain animals. And the big question is whether or not it's bad to use an adult enclosure for a sling. So let's start out with that question because I get that one a lot. And although I do think that... It's obviously not wrong in most cases to give a tarantula more room. Sometimes we're thinking more about us and about other animals than actually what tarantulas need. And what I mean by that is when we put a tarantula into an enclosure, and granted, you want to give it some room to be able to walk around, get a drink, whatnot. We don't need them to be able to get, quote-unquote, exercise. These are not animals that in the wild run around and have to, like, I have dogs. I have to take my dogs for walks. We have a backyard that they can run around in. If you get uh, hamsters, gerbils, ferrets, something of that nature, these are animals that, again, benefit from activity. You need to allow them to stretch and move. Tarantulas aren't like that. These guys are masters at um, conserving energy and economy of energy. They basically are ambush predators that lie in wait until something edible walks by, whether it be a bug, a small lizard, a vertebrate, whatever it may be, a mouse, and they snatch it up, kill it quickly, and then they sit there and eat it. And the idea is this is one of the reasons why they live so long and one of the reasons why they don't need to eat so often is they're not burning a lot of unnecessary energy. So running with that theme, let's just talk, you know, get right out there in the open that they do not need a lot of exercise. Does that mean it's fair to cram a six-inch tarantula into a six-inch enclosure? No, absolutely not. And I'm not saying that, and I don't think most people say that, although I have seen some situations where they are obviously cramped. They should be able to stretch their legs. They should be able to move around a bit. If it's an arboreal, they should have some height to the enclosure so they can get off the ground and move around. If it's a terrestrial, give it some room to stretch its legs. However... If you give them, say, I just had somebody email me, they bought a GBB juvenile that I believe they said was about an inch and a half, and they also bought one of those Exoterra, the 12-inch by 12-inch nanos. I think they're called nanos. I can double-check, but I think they're the nanos, 12-inch by 12-inch by 14 or 16 inches high, and they put the GBB into this one. And after having it in there for a week or so, I got an email, I think this might be a bit too large. In my opinion, from what I've seen with my animals, I would say that's a bit too large for a sling, quite a bit too large. And, and here's why. With slings, they're a bit more fragile than their adult counterparts. We've gone through this many times. They're, um, they can be a bit more timid. They, some species aren't particularly the most ravenous hunters. Many of them need moistures because, moisture because they don't have the cuticle, that wax cuticle that uh, protects them from dehydration, the waxy coating on their cuticle, excuse me. And this makes them more susceptible to dying from dehydration or not getting enough food. So you want an enclosure for your sling that allows two things that I think are crucial and very important when keeping spiderlings. One, you want to be able to find your sling. And anybody that's kept small slings before and put them in larger enclosures, and I'm not even talking about huge enclosures. I'm talking about maybe a quarter-inch sling and a 16-ounce deli cup. And 16-ounce deli cups are usually considered to be the common size to start slings in. It can be very difficult to spot them. You throw a little sub, a little moss in there, a little sphagnum moss, or a cork bark, a piece of cork bark. It can be so difficult to spot them against that background. They become lost very quickly, and that leads to stress when you're opening up, trying to figure out. All right, I want to wet down a little bit of the substrate, but I don't want to, you know, spray the spider down. Or where is it? Is it eating? I can't tell. That causes stress for the keeper. You want to be able to monitor your animal and make sure that it's okay. 
So keeping that in mind, the other thing you want to make sure of is that your sling can easily find food. That, I think, is probably even more important than the other one. But when you use a larger enclosure, anybody that's raised tarantulas for any amount of time realizes how easy it is sometimes for prey items to scuttle off and not get noticed by the tarantula. They're great hunters, but remember, they're sitting there waiting for something to go by, and sometimes things get by. I've had roaches scramble right by one. They miss it, and the roach ends up burying itself. Crickets are usually good because they they hop around completely oblivious to the fact that there's another larger you know, arachnid in there ready to eat it. But that's... Most cases, you want to make sure that they can easily find the food. If you're using pre-killed, you want a smaller container so you can put that little pre-killed prey in. Watch, see if it moves. Is it dragged to a burrow? Does it look like it's fed on? If you're feeding live, you want to be able to locate the prey item if it's not been eaten so you don't leave it in there with a sling that might be molting. Or, God forbid, it crawls off somewhere and dies and then you get you know gnats or bugs or flies or whatever, undesirables, mold. You want an enclosure that allows it to be able to catch it and if it doesn't, to be able, for you to be able to recognize that it hasn't caught it so you can get it out of there. And I think that's very important. And keep in mind, in the wild, slings are going to find burrows and things to hide behind. They're not scrambling around, getting exercise, running around you know, huge swaths of real estate trying to find food. They're going to limit themselves to a small area because anytime they step out at that size, they are prey for other insects, birds, other animals. So again, it behooves them to be able to hide and stay out of sight. So they're going to have their little area burrow. A lot of them, I do believe something that's not mentioned is most slings will bury themselves when they're in pre-molt and will do some burrowing. The majority of my slings will burrow. And something some other keepers and I have been talking about is that in the wild, they probably, even with some of the burrowing they do, find some insects and things to eat just burrowing. So they don't even have to venture out in that instance. And I think of my P. muticus that I've noticed it will bury itself completely and hide all the way down at the end of its enclosure and won't come up to feed and i think part of the problem is in that situation that is an animal that is used to finding food under the ground there's many things crickets worms grubs things of that nature that they can easily find under under the ground and never have to venture outside so something to think about when you're housing the slings pick an enclosure size that is going to allow you to quickly identify where the sling is and quickly identify whether or not the sling has eaten it at all. You want to make sure they can find it. Now, I've had people tell me they've set up 10-gallon tanks with three-quarter-inch specimens in it. I honestly think that is the wrong way to go. I'll say flat out. I, I think, could it work? Yes, but I think un- under most circumstances, that's the wrong way to approach housing a sling. And a lot of times I hear it's because people are like, well, I don't feel like rehousing them. Part of this hobby is rehousing. If you're terrified of rehousing to the point where you don't want to put a sling in an appropriate size enclosure, then perhaps you're not ready for that species or perhaps this isn't the hobby for you. I I know a lot of times it makes sense to limit the amount of rehousings we do. And I've talked about this when I've gotten into old world species, especially fast growing ones like the Pisotheria, they grow so quickly that where sometimes you would have a spider that might have four houses during the course of its life. With a Pisotheria, you can sometimes get away with three or even two. That makes sense. That's being prudent. That's avoiding stressing out the spider more than you have to. But it's because the spider grows so quickly, you're going to have that period where it's going to grow out of its sling enclosure, be a little too big for the sling enclosure. And then it's going to spend a little time being a little too small for its adult enclosure, but then it's going to grow into it. Now, does that mean I should take a one-inch pokey and drop it into the equivalent of a 15-gallon arboreal enclosure? 
absolutely not. And that's where I think we need to be a little more cognizant of the fact that raising slings can be difficult enough. And it seems to me that people have been in the hobby for a while aren't the ones having this issue. It's ones that are just getting into the hobby. They're looking at the spider. They're reading these horror stories about, you know, rehousing fiascos and whatnot. And they're thinking, you know what? I'm just going to completely do away with all that. I'm going to stick it in an adult enclosure. It's going to look really pretty. It'll raise up. It'll be fine. And it could. I don't want to sit there and tell people that it's absolutely going to be a nightmare, that your sling is going to die. But I will tell you, it's going to make things exponentially more difficult, more stressful for you in the long run. When you're trying to locate your animal, you're not going to be able to find it. Again, I can lose a sling in a four by four enclosure. No problem. I can't imagine being in one that's a foot or 10 inches wide by two feet long. I don't even know where you'd start trying to find it. So you're going to spend literally, literally months, if not years, dumping in prey items, not knowing if they're eaten and not seeing your spider and just hoping it's in there eating. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So when starting off with cages, especially with slings, do something, get something appropriate size. If you want to play with big ones, wait till later when they put on some size. I just had somebody contact me about dropping a, it was a half inch B. alba pelosum, and they basically had a five gallon tank. And I recommended, they're like, well, I already have this tank, so I want to use it. Number one, that shouldn't be how you're choosing your enclosures. Hey, I have this thing already here that nothing's in it. This is what I'm going to use regardless if it's appropriate or not. You should be looking for stuff that suits the animal. And I tried to say, hey, you know what? With something that size, you might want to use a 16-ounce deli cup you know, to give it a little room, but it's going to do some bearing. Long story short, they got back to me and said, I think it escaped. I can't find it anywhere. I don't know where it is. They panicked because they hadn't seen the sling in a while. And when they went, decided to go through the enclosure and try to find it, they were having a heck of a time trying to locate it. Now, the good news was they did eventually find it. They, I asked them to pour the dirt out into something that they could spread it out, and they found the little guy. But after that, they rehoused it into something more properly sized or something that made a little more sense. So again, everybody makes mistakes, and a lot of people get in the hobby don't know any better. But if you're new to the hobby and you're looking at enclosures, don't worry about the rehousings. There are many rehousing videos out there that will show you the proper way to do it to really minimize the risk. And honestly, I feel like that's a big part of keeping. For me... Do they get the blood pumping sometimes? Absolutely. But that's part of the fun of a hobby. That's when you're interacting. That's kind of when you're in the big leagues, when you're doing your first rehousing. You'll hear a lot of people that will come up and brag and be like, I did my first rehousing. It's it's exciting. And it's something when you do more of, you get better at it. At least in my opinion, I've found that for myself. So as far as enclosures, if you want to do something nice and do something big, that's fine. But there's some things you need to think about. I just had uh, another email today where somebody bought I believe it was a three-inch rose hair, three-inch G. Porteri, and they've got it in a gigantic 40-gallon 40, 40 aquarium, I believe. And I asked, how many inches is it from the top of the dirt to the top? And there's, I don't know, like a foot or so, maybe even more. That's dangerous. And they're like, well, it's climbing all around right now, but it seems to be enjoying itself exploring. No, it's going to be dead. And that's something that can happen with those taller enclosures. So if you give it floor space, if you want to give them extra room as far as floor space – that's fine. Just know you don't need to. That's us people going, hey, I have this animal and it looks bad. And, I, and I, everybody's gotten comments or seen the comments on YouTube videos or whatnot where people go on and say, you're torturing these animals. They're in these tiny little cages and they're so upset. No, they're not. They're comfortable. When you put a tarantula in an enclosure, in your house, a smaller enclosure, it will usually burrow or hide beneath some cork bark. That's its territory. That's its home. It's like 
your house is the great wide open, the great, you know, where it would be the desert or the forest or whatever. And that area is its home. They become very protective of that. They feel comfortable in that. And that's what you want the animal to be comfortable. Anybody that's dropped a tarantula in a brand new home has seen how they cower in the corner. They get scared. They don't know their surroundings yet. And when they do get comfortable and they do have their surroundings and they've navigated them, they they are more comfortable in them and relaxed, you will notice they will pick one small spot in the enclosure. If it's an arboreal, they'll usually do some webbing, maybe throw up some dirt curtains, whatever, maybe a funnel web. If it's a fossorial, they're going beneath the ground into their burrow. And if it's a terrestrial, they're going to take refuge underneath a piece of cork bark or maybe do a little bit of burrowing, but they're going to have one small space. And if you watch these guys at night, They'll come out, they'll usually sit out in the open, they'll do a little bit exploring around the general area, but most of them won't even do that. They just come out and they stand out in the open, what are they doing? They're waiting for prey to come by, they're nocturnal. They're not roaming around trying to get, you know, travel hundreds of miles trying to find something. They're waiting right there in front of their burrows. That's what they do in the wild. They don't roam too far from their burrows. That would be dangerous. That makes them not just the predator, but prey. So think about that when you're setting up the enclosure, that if you do give them a lot of extra room, it's fine. You can decorate it. I've seen some beautiful naturalistic and bioactive enclosures where people have put, you know, water in everything else. And it, they look flipping gorgeous. I mean, absolutely gorgeous. And if you're going to have these guys displayed in your room, living room, or a place where they're going to get a lot of traffic, I completely understand that. And if you're going to give them some extra room, that's fine. It definitely, under most circumstances, will not hurt them. But... It's not going to be, it's not necessarily going to benefit them. They're not, you're not going to have a healthier spider because you gave it, you know, five square feet to Roman as opposed to two square feet to Roman. So something to keep in mind. Also, I've noticed, sadly, a lot of the species that they seem to use the larger enclosures with are avicularia, and that's one of the ones that you want to keep a little extra eye on. I know I have a few avics, and I like to make sure that I can, you know, they're secure. That is a species that I have seen that if they're not secure, they're going to crunch, scrunch all up in one of those corners, not come down, not eat, and then you're going to have a problem on your hands. So I had somebody that bought a avicularia, avicularia from a pet store. It was like two and a half, three inch juvenile and stuck it in this giant aquarium and sent me a picture. And I felt so bad for this poor thing because it's all the way up in the corner, about a foot off the ground in this giant aquarium, scrunched all up. And the guy's like, it's not eating. I'm like, yeah, it's not eating because there's no cover. There's so much space. The thing is terrified. It feels like it's out in the open. For tarantulas to feel secure, and anybody that's watched my videos, you'll notice my, I have knock on wood, I have very calm spiders overall, especially when I'm doing the rehousings, and that's because I'd like to believe they're secure in their surroundings. I don't have them in these giant enclosures where they could bolt when they are disturbed or when I'm doing a rehousing or whatnot. They usually go right to their burrows or their hides, and they're comfortable. They're relaxed, and I think that's a big part of it is not giving them too much space or at least not giving them so much space that they're insecure. And I think those of you who have kept for a while start to get a good feel for what makes a good enclosure for certain sizes. For larger species, for full-grown species, if you want to give them something very naturalistic and huge, you have to make sure you fill it up with enough substrate. And that's where I think sometimes it can get a little bit impractical if you have an aquarium that's, say, a 40-gallon aquarium. Those weigh quite a bit on their own. And now you're going to have to fill it up with at least, you know, seven, eight inches of substrate to avoid uh, fall damage. That can be make for a pretty heavy home. So anybody that likes to take their aquariums out, I like to take my cages out and put them on my 
dinner table to feed and do maintenance and clean them, that can make it a little different. So, uh, difficult. So something to keep in mind if you're putting them in a large one. But again, is it wrong to give them extra room? No. If it's decorated correctly, if you've set it up correctly, so for example, if it's an arboreal and you've given it an arboreal setup with extra height and things to climb on, cork bark rounds perhaps to climb in and hide in, then there's no issues there. If it's a fossorial species and you've given it some room to dig, that's excellent. If it's a terrestrial species and it has hides, you're going to want to put more than one around the place, that's okay. Feel free. Put some extra time into it, some extra effort. Build a beautiful enclosure, but make sure that you have it set up correctly for them. And off the top of my head, thinking of species that sometimes do a little bit better with extra room, what immediately comes to mind is the OBT. I found that Folks that used to talk about these guys being super defensive, aggressive, and there are some ones out there that are are pretty nasty in temperament, but I've noticed that if you give them extra depth in their enclosure, a little bit extra depth than you would a normal terrestrial, and give them a little extra space, they are less likely to be nasty. It, it, when you peel the, in, the top of an enclosure off of the heavy Weber, you're basically opening up their burrow. That causes them to become very antsy and defensive. And I've seen pictures of folks who are keeping the OBTs and they have them in these normal size flatter critter keeper type things and the OBTs don't have enough depth to do their webbing. A lot of them will do copious amounts of webbing. And what happens is they peel that top off. All that webbing comes up. It completely disturbs the spider. And yeah, they're going to be defensive after that. That's literally like you sitting in your room and somebody ripping the top off your roof. It's going to be terrifying. It's going to cause you to freak out and run. Or in their case, it's going to cause them to stand and fight. So I do think there are some species that do a little bit better with larger enclosures. I know with my cancerides or my formicopus species... Some of them like a little bit of extra room and it actually makes it a little bit easier to deal with them because you're going to give them a little space so that when you open the enclosure, they don't feel cornered. And these are large species, obviously, that have a reputation for having some uh, defensive temperament. So you want to give yourself a little bit of space so that when you open up that cage, they're not right there in your face. Now, just to give folks some examples of what I currently use and what works for me, and again, this isn't the right way. This is just what I'm using. There are many different types of enclosures that can be used, so please don't think you have to go out and find exactly what I'm talking about. But just to give you an example, we'll talk in terms of floor space. For my large to medium species, I usually use something that's 11 inches by 17 inches, which gives me about 187 square inches of floor space. I found those dimensions are great for the majority of medium to large size tarantulas. It gives you plenty of room to work when you have to do maintenance. It allows for a hide, a couple inches of substrate, the water dish, plants if you'd like, some moss, whatever you need to put in there to make them feel comfortable while giving yourself enough room to work and while giving them enough space that they can get out and stretch if they so feel. Again, they don't have to, but sometimes they will get out and wander a little bit at night. So you give them a little room to move around. And again, you don't want them cramped, but a lot of times these enclosures, they become their burrows basically in the wilds of your house, if you want to think of it that way. So I got right now the majority of my larger species, my Nandrotrapepes in one. I have all of my Formictopus, large Formictopus are in something this size now, although I have a couple that are going to be putting on, you know, next moat will be eight inches or so, and they'll be getting something a little bit bigger. And I'll discuss that in a moment. Uh, for your basic rose hair, your albopelosum, um, what do I got in there? Brachypelma hammeri. I have my Bra- Brachypelma bami in one. 
I have my Iringi in one. They're all in these sizes. And I find the Sterilite boxes. Sterilite makes a box that's right around these dimensions. They have purple latches. I get them at Target. But if you're in Europe, I'm sure they have something similarly sized. You just want to look for that 16 by 24 around there. Those work fantastically. They're stackable. They're one of the more clear plastic containers you can get, easily ventilated, and they're perfect for those large specimens. Now, when they get a little bit bigger, and I have my Theraphosa sturmi, male and female, and my uh, Pamphibetus antinus in one, and my Pamphibetus species Duran will probably be going into one after she molts next. For those, I use something 16 inches by 24 inches, which gives me about 384 square inches of floor space. Now, I will tell you, for the Theraphosa species, I have a couple water dishes, I have a large hide, some substrate, and I found that they generally just hide out in their burrow all day long. And even when the lights go out, if I come in the morning and shine a flashlight in, they're just sitting at the face of their burrow, they, at the entrance of the burrow. They don't go wandering. So with all that space, I will tell you, for the Theraphosa, they, they use it decently, but a lot of it isn't really used. For my Pamphibetus antinus, and she's about eight inches or so, eight and a half inches, she barely uses any of it. She basically hides out either in or at the entrance of her den at all times. I never see her roaming around. I have actually moved a water dish closer to her den because I haven't seen her out and about and using the water dish. So she has a lot of floor space, but she isn't out much. Now, for those of you who do a lot of decorating of your enclosures, if you give them a lot more cover and stuff of that nature, plants and things to hide behind, you might get them to come out and explore more because they don't feel so exposed. So that's something to think about. But for my biggest spiders, I found that the 16 inch by 24 inches I use, I think it's Hefty makes it. It's a flat plastic container. The one drawback is it does have a gray top, so you can't see right into it. But it does give them privacy, and when I open the top, they all seem to be very, fairly calm. Even my male Theraphosostermi, who they can be complete whack jobs when they become males. So those work for me, and again, that is not the be-all and end-all. I'm not telling everybody go out and buy these. Um, the other thing I use, I should mention, for the besides the Sterilite, is I use the Exoterra Breeding Box Larges. They're very similarly sized, beautifully transparent. They look very nice. They're stackable. Again, one drawback being that the lids are black, so you can't peer through them easily. So that's basically what I use for my larges. For my large arboreals, I use the critter, extra large critter keepers, which I believe, I want to say 30 quarts or so. They're, they're very, very large. They give a lot of room. They give a little extra floor space. They give height, so you can put in your cork bark rounds, your cork bark flats. You can decorate them. I have room for plants. I have room for water dishes. I can make some really nice enclosures with those. And again, I've said my preference is for enclosures that don't open in the front for arboreals. I like going in from the top. Mostly I've found that they will hunker down and hide behind cork bark when you go to do maintenance and when they get startled. So I like working from top down. Again, this isn't, I'm not telling you this is the right way because I've had people tell me they don't understand my theory on this. Do what works for you. If you like the ones open from the front, use the ones open from the front. I like the ones that open from the top. The other thing I also use, which I'm getting away from because they just don't look that great, is the Sterilite bins. They're taller. Again, you can get them, I think they're uh, 26 to 32 quarts or so. They're extra deep, fairly clear. You can get ones with clear tops. They're very easily ventilated. Again, um, hold a decent amount of substrate if you need them for fossorials as well. And they look pretty nice and they're stackable on the shelf. The one issue I have with them is that they do have that milkiness to them that makes it difficult to see through them. And if you're trying to put one of your, you know, beautiful species on display, that's not the thing to put them in. They, they work well, 
but they don't look pretty. And while we're on that topic, I'll just put a little note in here about that, that keep in mind when you're looking at – everybody has a different way of setting them up. I, I have certain showcase species that I have in beautiful cages, acrylic cages. They're very you know, over-the-top decorated because those are the ones when people come over my house, I point to and go, yeah, look at that one in there. Keep in mind that does nothing for the tarantula and that needs to be said. It's They look great. I don't blame people. Again, I do it. But I think sometimes people get lost in the idea that if you put a tarantula in one of these cheaper enclosures, these plastic bins, that you're somehow harming the tarantula. And that's I find that pretty ridiculous. The tarantula doesn't know any different. If it's set up correctly, if it, it could be in literally an opaque container where no light gets in, it would probably be the absolute happiest because it's going to feel secure. So if you really want to think of it that way, the best enclosure might be a well-ventilated, completely opaque box. However, we like to, uh, part of the hobby is playing with the decorations, finding new plants. A lot of people do naturalistic plants, uh, enclosures with real live plants and whatnot. And that is something that is a fun aspect of the hobby. It's something I would like to start exploring in the future. And so if that's the case, that's great. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And they look fantastic. And I think they make great showcase pieces to get people more involved in the hobby. Because looking at a giant spider in a plastic box, most people look at it and it's just not very, uh, what's the word for it? It's not as compelling as seeing them in this naturalistic display where they go, wow, the spider kind of creeps me out, but I have to admit that whole display is beautiful. So there's nothing wrong with those. They look great. I implore people, once you get your husbandry down, to try, start playing around with those types of enclosures. But please keep in mind that somebody that keeps a tarantula in a well-ventilated, appropriately sized, sterilite plastic bin that has a water dish, a hide, and the tarantula is obviously comfortable in there, is doing it just as right. They are looking for the needs of the tarantulas. And for people that are getting into the hobby, just getting into the hobby, I do implore them to start simple. Keep it simple at first. What is that old kiss? Keep it simple, stupid. Keep it simple first as far as your enclosure setups. Your first goal is to get your husbandry down. Your goal is to get the feeding schedule down, rehousings down, cleaning up boluses, finding and cleaning up boluses, monitoring for mold and other undesirables. And the fancy enclosures, people that jump right in head first with these fancy enclosures with the plants and whatnot, a lot of times experience difficulty. I had somebody email me recently that they had were dropping roaches in they, and crickets in and they thought they the tarantula was eating them come to find out they were rotting and he had done this naturalistic enclosure and one of them was tangled in the roots of something it was just it was a disaster i felt terrible for the guy because I'm like yeah well he really he had a mold infestation now so you have to kind of rip that whole thing up and start from scratch so when you start setting up the enclosures if you're just new to the hobby keep it simple at first start off with your basic enclosures most people for slings will use the dram bottles you see them you can order them on amazon you can buy them in bulk if you have a bunch of slings they use the 16 ounce deli cups for larger slings. So we're talking something, you know, three quarters of an inch to an inch or so. You can start in the 16 ounce deli cups or 32 down, uh, ounce deli cups for a boreal species. And then there, when you get to the juvenile stage, I know a lot of people, You have a, if you have a couple pets, it makes sense, I guess, to set up really fancy enclosures. But keep in mind, they're not staying in that juvenile stage very long. You're just This is just kind of the go-between between them being a sling and the adult stage where they're nice and large and you're going to have them in their final home. So I would encourage people, don't put a lot of effort into making those beautiful juvenile enclosures because a lot of these species, I'm thinking Formictopus, uh, Pisolotheria, Things of that, uh, the faster growing boreal species are going to be out of those enclosures fairly quickly. So you're going to put a lot of work into it. They're going to web the heck out of them. They're going to tear them up, and then they're going to be out into something else. So if any spot 
any growth period, there's one to kind of back off uh, on doing the super ornate enclosures. That's the one I usually, my juveniles usually, that's my worst looking enclosures because at that point, I'm just trying to buy time until they're in their adult enclosures. Again, not to say you can't decorate them all nice, and I've seen some beautiful ones, especially somebody just showed me one with a GBB that was absolutely gorgeous and it was a juvenile. But just to keep it simple and keep it easier on yourself, don't worry about just keeping the enclosures simple and spartan for that juvenile period and then go all out when they're an adult because those are the ones that are going to be in for a while. You want them to look nice, and that makes a lot of sense. So to kind of recap, when you're choosing an enclosure for your tarantula, pick something that's reasonably sized. You can give them some extra room, but I have to say flat out, I, I do not agree with the practice of dropping a sling in an adult enclosure. I think that's just asking for trouble. It's not good for the keeper. It's not good for the sling. I, I can see putting a sling in larger enclosures, but at that growth period, you want to be able to monitor them as closely as possible, make sure the conditions are right, not lose them in the enclosure. If you want to experiment with juveniles and put them in bigger stuff, that's a little bit different. But again, please consider the height of the enclosure is incredibly important. You can't drop a three-inch tee in an enclosure with 10 inches of height and expect it not to climb. It's going to climb, and if it falls, it's in trouble. And I know folks like coming up with these rules about what size height and what size floor space you should have for adult tarantulas. And, and it's nice. It makes things simple. But it, you have to kind of learn common sense. So if you're talking about a terrestrial species, if I have a six-inch terrestrial species, I don't want more than seven inches or so of height above the substrate between the top of the enclosure and the bottom, maybe eight pushing it. If it's at the higher end, what I would do is make sure you move all the sharp edges. So uh, plants, water dishes, uh, cork bark hides, whatever it may be, move them in more. So if it does climb and fall, it doesn't have a sharp, a sharp edge to fall against. That's just good practice. As far as floor space, you know, if you got a six inch spider, you're looking at something, you know, 200 square inches or so, 175, 180 square inches around that area. So, you know, five or maybe five or six times the size of the spider when it's opened up. Now, keep in mind, I think sometimes we hear like, for example, I'll use my Theraphosa Sturmi. They're pushing, easily pushing eight and a half, nine inches. However, that would be eight and a half, nine inches spread completely out. Spiders don't walk around with their legs completely splayed. They are basically curled in as they walk. So they take up significantly less size than those nine inches that we talk about. So something to keep in mind that although your spider may be nine inches, it's taking up a lot less room than those nine inches. So when you're looking at floor space, give it some room to roam. You should be able to safely put in a water dish. I'm a huge proponent of the water dish the hides and have some room in between if they want to go out and stretch their limbs. It shouldn't just be in an enclosure that's not much larger than the spider itself. I've seen pictures, especially if you go to pet stores, they'll put a three inch or four inch spider into something that's about three or four inches wide and it just looks cramped. It doesn't get the stretch out at all. That's not good because you have to figure even when they molt, they go out and do a lot of stretching. So you want to give it room to move, but you don't have to go to the moon on it. It doesn't need to be over the top as far as how much floor space it has. And then just play it by ear. If you have a question, ask somebody. A lot of keepers have different rules of thumb as far as when they know when to transfer. I get uh, kind of tongue-tied sometimes when people ask me, what are your rules for transferring? It's not really, I've had so many tarantulas, I've raised so many from the sling stage up that I don't have so much have a rule. I know what I'm looking at. I look at a tarantula and I go, ooh, that one's looking three and a half, four inches. Now it's time to move it to its next enclosure. There might be another one though that's three and a half and four inches that I decide is not time to move. It kind of depends on the species 
species. It kind of depends on what you're looking at as far as what is the current container size, what are you looking to put into, are you planning on skipping. So don't freak out about this. Look and see. I mean, I would implore people, and the only issue I have with these podcasts is I am a visual person. I like showing examples of things. Go on, do some research, look and see what people have. You can always shoot me an email if you have a question. And keep in mind that there's really no right or wrong answer in most instances. If you have a two-inch juvenile and you decide to put it in something a little bigger, just plan accordingly, put a lot of hides in there, put uh, foliage and try to keep track of it. It's not necessarily wrong. As people have pointed out, they come from huge environments in the wild, so obviously they're used to being in open spaces and they will make do with it. Is it ideal? Sometimes not, but it can definitely work and it can save you a transfer. So I don't think it's something we should lose a lot of sleep over. It's something that you will develop. It's one of those aspects of the hobby that you will develop through experience. As you keep more and more species, it'll start being more and more obvious to you when it is time to move one into a larger enclosure or in in some cases, what size closure to to start them in. All right, so thanks so much for listening. This one ran a little bit over the half-hour mark, and I apologize. Hopefully it wasn't long in the end ring, and I know I didn't give any definite answers as to exactly what size to start off with, but I really don't think there are definite answers. I think there's general rules of thumb. When you start off, you start slings and something smaller. You can get a little crazy with the juvenile stage, and then when they get to adulthood, you can give them some room, but you just got to be careful that you're not giving them too much height or too much floor space that they can't locate food. Because bottom line, our job in taking care of these things is to make sure that they are secure, they are comfortable, and they are getting fed and water, getting water. And anything we do decoratively isn't necessarily benefiting the spider. It's benefiting us. And that's totally okay because we're the ones taking care of them. We're in this hobby. As long as it's not harming them, that's great. But we just need to keep in mind sometimes that giving them the larger enclosures sometimes doesn't actually help the spider any. It's more of an aesthetic thing for us. So again, thanks for listening. For those of you who want to check out my YouTube channel, you can find it under Tom Moran, or Tom's Big Spiders. You can also check out my blog at tomsbigspiders.com. I'm on Instagram, I believe under Tom Moran. Big uh, shock there. And I think, oh, and you can find me on Facebook under Tom's Big Spiders, and I love hearing from people there too. So again, thanks for listening. Until next time, i got to think of some kind of fun sign-off. I don't have one for either of this or the video, so just bye-bye for now.